1: Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. This is hit well in a center field. That one's carrying out at center. It's out of here. Oh, Johnny with a pinch hit home run. At the plate is Mike Trout. The pitch on its way. It's blasted out to dead center field. Out of here. Ball gets away. He's going to break for the plate. Ball game is over. The Angels with a walk off win here in the bottom of the ninth inning.
2: This is the Angels Recap Podcast, a review of the past week in Angels baseball. Here's your host, Trent Rush. Hot stove season is upon us here on the Angels Recap Podcast. Hello everybody, my name is Trent Rush. So glad that you are with us uh, right now. Whether or no matter how you found us, whether it be angels.com slash podcast, found us on iTunes, Google Play, uh, several other podcast sites. However you got here, we're glad you did. And we also invite you to check out some of our previous episodes. We just got the Justin Anderson interview that we did last week uh, posted up there, angels.com slash podcast. So uh, if you subscribe, it's really easy. They just get sent right to you like I subscribe on iTunes and that's how I know that they got posted everything went right is I get a notification on my phone hey podcast been posted uh, I would encourage you guys uh, to check that out if you want to stay up to date on all the latest uh, angels news notes and on top of that just really cool exclusive interviews that you're not going to find anywhere else including what we bring you on this podcast today awesome chat right before the winter meetings began I had Billy Epler in studio, here at our studios, at AM 830 over at Angel Stadium. Billy came from his third floor office down to the second floor and sat here in the studio Unbelievable conversation. We get into a lot of stuff. Talk about analytics. We talk a lot about his background. We talk a lot about building uh, the coaching staff on this team and putting together a championship organization that goes far beyond what you just see at the major league level. It was really insightful. I learned a lot, and I think you guys will as well. Uh, So without further ado, here's our conversation with Angels general manager, Billy Epler. Oh yeah, this is fun here. Halo, is hot stove. We got Angels GM Billy Epler hanging with us right now. What's going on, Billy? How are you?
0: I'm doing all right. How about you doing, Trent?
2: Hey, I'm doing okay. This is uh, it's good to have you here. It's, it's this time of year. Everything is, you know. Pointing at the winter meetings, I know those coming up right around the corner, and this is uh, this is crunch time for people that are trying to watch everything going on. The fans are excited, and then I just kind of wonder, like, what must be going on in the Epler household, and have the, has the Epler household even seen Billy Epler in the last few weeks?
0: Yeah, I, I try to carve out <laughs> some time in the morning, uh, take my son to school, uh, spend some time. We have a, a newborn. Uh, well, he's. Eight month old. Is that a newborn? I think that counts. That counts. counts. All right. So, yeah, our eight month old. And and so I spend a little time with them in the morning, um, drop my son off, and then usually just head in here. And by the time I get home, um, you know, because some things will kind of go late in the day. So, by the time I get home, um, the the eight months old to sleep, and then the other one's uh, eating dinner usually. So, I get about another 30, 45 minutes with them. And it's a lot of phone time um, right now, a lot of phone texts. you know, uh, but uh, it's a lot going on, whether it's in trade market or free agent market, and um, you know, you just you find yourself, you know, in your commute. And you know, my commute is probably yeah. like 35, 45 minutes, just depending on the on the night. You find yourself, uh, you know, thinking about thousands of permutations um, <laughs> about how things work and dreaming up, you know, multi team type trades or you know, even four team. Trades and so on and so forth, and um, you know, and I think that dreaming kind of continues up until the point of the uh, the winter meetings, and then you you know, I, I always like to joke with our staff that. You get to you get to Wednesday of the winter meetings, and that's like reality day. <laughs> um, and you really try to just understand like what we need to do right yeah. now, what we can what we can pull off the board, or what we can what we what trades we can execute at that at that time. But you know you're always looking to, to kind of do better um, up until up until that point, and then you, you kind of it just sets in.
2: I, I think in some ways you got everybody's dream job. I mean, to be able to go and you get to figure out, you get to put a team together and that, but like. This time of year, I, I can understand. This is a this is a stressful time. Do you enjoy this time of year?
0: Um, yeah, I do. You know, I I, I enjoy the 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 challenge of of you know roster construction and kind of all the things that can, um, you know, potentially happen, uh, and and just the way you want to, you know, layer your, layer your roster out. I mean, some of that's already defined for a lot of clubs just because you know they're they're in situations where they might have. Um, you know such as such as ourselves in the outfield right we uh-huh. have you know three guys in our outfield on multi-year contracts and so you know there's not a ton that we can really do um, out there nor do we are we looking to do a lot out there uh-huh. but you know we're open-minded to things but um you know so every team's got some certain areas where they're um, a little bit more defined than in other areas. So, um, you know, but, uh, but yeah, they, like, like I said, you know, the, the combinations of things that you can do, you know, are relatively are yeah. limitless.
2: I got a lot of angels questions, a lot of questions about the team. And if you need to answer your phone at any point, I totally understand. We're no, re- I'm good. We're I'm recording here.
0: I'm going to silence. So, okay. okay.
2: I get it. It's all all whatever's best for the team is where I'm at right now. Uh, I I have Angels questions, but I want to kind of I want to get to know Billy Epler the person because I think that's a better way for us uh, in the media and also fans to understand Billy Epler the general manager and uh, your background and when you're coming up, you're done pitching at UConn before Mm -hmm. you go to Colorado. There's at any point like when did it when did it occur to you like I would like to be the general manager of a major league baseball team
0: that. That didn't occur to me for quite some time. Um, you know, I had, you know, written a goal sheet when I was about seventeen years old, and I kind of put all these things on there that I wanted to achieve in in life, or just you sure. know, I guess that was before the the movie bucket list. So it was almost <laughs> like things I wanted to learn how to do, whether I was yeah. like play guitar, or learn how to cook, or be in delivery room when children are born and just like Mm. a lot of different things on there, you know, play professional baseball was one of them or be a general manager was written on there. But, Mm. um, when I finished school, um, I graduated with a finance degree. And so I went to work, um, in finance for about, mm, about eight months. I think it was about the six month mark. I realized (laughs) wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, and, uh, you know, you're young in life at, at that time, you know, when you finish college. And so, you have the ability, if it, you know, you know, I at least I did, or people that were single have the ability. I I didn't have, you know, a wife or a family to mm-hmm. to support, so I can take some chances, right? I I didn't need a lot of things in life um, to to make it, you know. I just uh, a small apartment, a studio apartment. I had a studio apartment, um, and and you learn how to live cheap, and so knowing how to live cheap allows you to take risks. And so my risk was leaving a decent paying job on finance, you know, that they kind of give you right out of college or whatever, if -hmm. if you're able to land that and go back to try to work your way into sports, you know, which ultimately is entertainment. And so, um, you know, I took this uh, job with the Rockies that paid me $5,000 for a year. And so you break that down into you know uh, twenty four pay periods minus the tax, you're kind of looking at like hundred and sixty six bucks and sixty seven cents per check, and so you needed like a second job, and you know but again like I my um, dresser was I didn't have a dresser it was like I used four milk crates and just kind yeah. of stacked my clothes inside those, and my I had a queen size bed that I had from high school and it was just a mattress and a box spring on the floor no frame and. You know, um, no desk. I used a TV tray as like a, something to eat on and something to write on or put my laptop on if I needed to do work and
2: mm-hmm.
0: television. And that was it. You know, I mean, there wasn't a ton in, in that apartment. And I just kind of um, chased a dream. Sure. Um, and that was to work in sports. But I didn't really have this anything defined. I just mm-hmm. I wanted to get inside sports and make a contribution and just see where things Kind of went from there.
2: It's kind of funny, like everybody, no matter what facet of sports you're in, seemed to have a story like that. Like I no. remember the first time they paid me fifty bucks to call a game. Like I was, I was pumped. <laughs> He's like to get fifty bucks, like that <laughs> no was that doubt. was big time. That was great. No <laughs> and that's and that's you know whether it be broadcasting, whether it be front office stuff, players, everything, yeah. it, it all kind of works. Like Justin Anderson was telling me a couple weeks ago. You know he he was working on an off season job like two years ago. So yep. that's just, just kind of how it goes for uh, trying to make it in sports who were some of your influencers before before brian cashman before you got to the yankees like who were the people that you kind of looked up to in, in a significant way
0: well i can tell you i got into professional sports i grew up around the nfl um and when i say i grew up around it so my parents split up um when i was about 10 years old and um my um my mom had to had to work you know she had pretty much, you know, support me. Um, and I had three older sisters too. Uh, they were mostly out of the house. Um, but you know, um, my young, my youngest sister was still in the house, but, um, so she had to, you know, kind of grind a you know, work mm-hmm. a little bit later and kind of try to, um, you know, run a, run a business to help support us. And, um, so I spent a lot of time, um, my best friend, his father was a guy named Ernie Zampezi, a mm-hmm. longtime offensive coordinator, yeah. um, whose son, his son, Ken, uh, is actually, you know, with the with the Cleveland Browns right now. But um, I, so I spent a lot of time at their house, uh, and I started going to training camps and things like that when I was ki- a kid, spending, you know, two weeks. Either the Chargers at that time mm-hmm. were uh, at UC San Diego. That's where they wow. had their uh, training camp. And so I grew up around, you know, sports and watching Ernie, Mr. Zampese, um, you know, work late into the night and just grind, and uh, you know, develop game plans and so on and so forth. And seeing that from a from a distance, like I, I admired it, um, and I loved the fact that you know, your work got um, you had an opportunity to see your work. Sure, we every week, you know, um, and. Yeah, it's out, in, it's out in the public, and, you know, there's a little bit of, of uncomfortable no uh, exposure no that comes with that. But um, just watching uh, his, you know, kind of like year um, and, and just like the football calendar and so on and so forth, I thought, you know, working in sports just seemed cool. So if you want to talk, we can go all the way back to then. That's like an early, mm-hmm. early influence at age. I mean, it even happened... Prior to my my parents splitting, so it's probably more like when I was about seven years old or eight wow. years old, just watching that and and some of my earliest memories of like tag football with uh, Kellen Winslow or or Dan Fouts and guys like that. Like these are just awesome times, right? Sure. And so um, and then as I you know was. was going forward and so on and so forth. Yeah. I had an internship actually in football when I was still, when I was a senior at UConn okay. and I was an intern with the Washington Redskins. And then I remember finishing that internship and talking to Mr. Zampezi and he said, you know, I think you'll probably go a little farther in, in baseball than you will in football, just from play, kind of playing yeah. and so on and so forth. But, um, you know, keep chasing your dream. And um, and so then at that time I touched base with uh, somebody that I'd um, kind of grown up around, uh, I grew up around their family um, in San Diego, a guy named Damon Oppenheimer, who's with the, um, uh, the Yankees still. And, um, you know, they had a friend that was um, moving over to Colorado. And, um, uh, you know, when Dan O'Dowd became general manager over there, they had a scouting director named Bill Schmidt um, that uh, that went over with, with him from the Indians. And, you know, Bill is the one that, that ultimately hired me and, and gave me that first opportunity. Um And, um, you know, I I had interviewed for a full-time job. I didn't get it. And then that's when he called me about the part-time job. And I just jumped at it because, again, I was young and I I didn't have a lot of, you know, obligations. I had a car payment and car insurance and things like that. But then that was with the the nighttime job that, you know, I got a bartending job, you know, to help just – make sure I could pay bills and then um, and then just grinded um, on the baseball side. So, so Bill Schmidt was a big influence. And then, and then from, from that point forward, you know, Dan O'Dowd was an influence and um, Bill Livesey, architects of the, of the Yankees kind of with like a lot of the procurement efforts of the Jeters and guys like that. Um, And then Gene Michael and clearly, you know, Damon Oppenheimer kind of through the whole thing. And then, and then as I got closer to like, being involved with major league operations, then it was then it was Cash, and then just working alongside Cash for those um, um, you know ten years um, was uh, or eleven years was was awesome, and and really prepared me for for where I'm at now.
2: So you're with the Yankees, and you're his right hand man, and you guys are winning the World Series, and things are good. 2014, you get that opportunity to. Uh, at least be in the mix for that Padres job. And it comes down to the wire. Mm-hmm. Chance to come back home. For all the success you've had and having a lot of success at a really young age, how, I don't know, what were your emotions in that moment when you were so close to getting a chance to come back home and then it, for it to not happen?
0: Um, uh, you know, I, I did a lot of soul searching during that interview process. It was a long interview process. You know, spanned pretty much the whole month of, uh, July and trickled a little bit into, into August. So, you know, it's about a five to six week interview process. Um, and, you know, during those times, you know, you're not interviewing every single day, obviously, sure. right? You're, you're just preparing for, you know, your first interview. And then if they call you back, you're then preparing, you know, <laughs> even deeper for your second interview. Checking
2: your phone every 10
1: seconds. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, and so, uh, um, but during that time, you kind of do a lot of soul searching. And in that soul searching, um you know i really started to get a sense of like what um what was important to me you know and I, I think at that moment in time i remember having a conversation i think it was actually with cash um where i just said you know i don't i don't need when my life's you know at, at the at the twilight mm-hmm. you know i don't need my headstone to say here lies general manager it's not that important to me anymore um, and the reason it wasn't that important to me anymore was just cause, um, Brian gave me so much confidence, um, that I could do the job. And so it, at that moment in time, it kind of just felt like, um, I, I didn't have to have to do it. And, and in that soul search, I remember, you know, talking to, to cash and I said, you know, I think if, if, if this doesn't happen and I get an opportunity again, um, I think it's only going to be for about eight, eight or 10 clubs that I'd actually really consider this for. Otherwise I'm just going to pass. And, um, so when I get to that moment of clarity, it kind of felt to me that I was just playing with house money, yeah. um, at that moment in time. And so when, um, when I, you know, got the call that, that night that, um, they were going to go a different direction. It just, it was you know, like, sure. uh, you know, I, it, it was, it was just that now that reality had set in, it was back to work the next day, and that was it. So,
2: I want to bring up a... We're, we're talking about the Angels general manager, Billy Upler right now. Billy, I'm going to bring up a, like a polarizing word in baseball. I'm not really sure why it's polarizing, but it, it is analytics. And, and that is, I, I think, that there are some fans that have, I think, trouble understanding, and probably some fans that are so overly invested, so into it, that they can lose sight of some of the other important parts of baseball. Mm-hmm. As someone that played in college, you have a, a scouting background, mm-hmm. and have a very good understanding of the numbers and how this all works. How did you formulate your stance and, and where you're at in terms of baseball philosophy?
0: You know, I just uh, I, I approached everything with the mindset of, of you know, better decision making. And the more information that you can ingest um, and and invite into a decision, you know, the the higher probability you have of, of making a better decision. And You know, I I think that's just where, you you know, I I think that that's just where you want your focus to be is all in in, in, within your process of decision making. And so um, there is a avenue for qualitative um, uh, qualitative kind of. uh, evaluations to, to, you know, to be in, you know, to be, to be cast upon a player, but there's also a quantitative aspect of it too. And, mm-hmm. and so having that blend, um, is, is really important. And, you know, I, I do, it's funny that you, you that you framed the question that way because I do marvel at like, you know, it, people treat it like it's a binary decision. Right. Like you have to choose one of uh, of them, and I just completely disagree with that. Um, I, you know, we have built a robust scouting staff here um, and increased the number of scouts that we employ both on the professional side, on the amateur side, and on the international amateur side since I've come here. Um, we've also built an analytics department. Um, like a freestanding research department, um, we've hired software developers. Right, we are just trying to improve our decision-making process. And if we can take the um, the probability that an event, um, uh, you know, if we can improve our confidence level from fifty-two percent to fifty-eight percent on a decision, that's a that's a that's a good move, right? It still doesn't mean every decision is going to be right, um, but if you play that. And if you play that for the long game, you're going to come out ahead more often than not. And so that's where our thought process is, right? You know, if we wanted to micro micro down that example and just say, you know, the odds are if we bring in a mediocre reliever, right, against yeah. a league average hitter, that that league average hitter, that might not be the right decision in that game at that moment in time, but... That league average or mediocre reliever will still get out the league average hitter more often than not because odds are that hitter doesn't have a 501 on base percentage. So, you know, we we just try to really understand probability and probability based decision making, just like you would. You know, it's funny that we're actually headed to Vegas this week. The whole city was built on math. Right. That city was built on math and probability, Mm -hmm. you know, and. Why shouldn't we utilize those types of tools in our decision making in baseball, whether that's on player evaluation, uh, you know, trades, what have you, in game decision making, drafting, international amateur? Why shouldn't we utilize more tools to help our decision making process and increase our odds?
2: And I would say that as somebody that I come from a traditional background in baseball the whole time. Mm-hmm. I've only recently done a lot more reading, a lot more research, and I've learned quite a bit about, uh, I don't want to call it new way of thinking, because it's been around for a long time, Yeah, it, it's, it's really not anything new, uh, but trying to understand you know more about what these numbers mean and, and, and the difference it can make in, in trying to make those decisions. So I, you, you make the comparison to Vegas being built on that, right? It's not a game of blackjack, though. There is that human element. Mm-hmm. So, how much does that factor in to when you're making decisions and you're weighing everything that goes into the equation?
0: if you have somebody that can, um, you know, contribute a qualified opinion on those things, then that's great. Um, but I would, I would then ask you the question of: Let's say you had a life adversity, mm-hmm. okay? You could respond com- two completely different ways on that life adversity, mm-hmm. right? So. I'm trying to now predict how Trent is going to respond to a life adversity where another person could be faced with a very similar life adversity and respond completely different. So it's really difficult to predict human behavior. And that's when you start injecting that ph- aspect mm-hmm. into it. I think there's going to be more fog um, I- into that. Now, understanding, you know, team chemistry and, and, things of those nature uh things of that nature that's that is important um you know by, by all means um but it's really difficult i think you can get yourself into into problems trying to predict how people react to situations right um it's fun to do we all do it is this guy scared in this moment or right. is this guy a grinder and is he tough I guarantee you, I can pull out some examples of people that were typed as afraid, and then we've watched them get traded or go to different teams, and all of a sudden they become, you know, Zeus on top of the mount- <laughs> mountaintop throwing thunderbolts at people. Um, but he couldn't make it in a other market or what have you. Or I think I think you can run into, you can talk yourself into a lot of things there, based on hope and feel without really understanding how human beings respond to certain things. So we're trying to like really dive into the decision-making process of people. And if we can understand from a cognitive nature how certain people respond to things, that's now taking a data-based element uh, and, and helping us now understand how the mind works and so on and so forth. So there's an avenue for those things, but I think just sitting back... Um, and trying to predict how somebody's going to respond to something um, it, it is different, right? Everybody responds to adversity different.
2: Listening to some of your interviews at the end of the season, and even when we talked at the end of, at, when the season was over, uh, when you kind of when you had the media in there and people just kind of firing off some questions, trying to learn about what your goals are for the off season, I, I, something stood out to me when you said uh, pretty definitively, on base percentage is the most important stat for scoring runs.
0: No question about it. Yeah. It is.
2: When did you learn that?
0: Uh, Gene Michael. Um, uh, Gene Michael is the one that really kind of drove that home. Um, You know, I uh, gathered it, you know, when I got exposure into the front office in Colorado. Um, Mm -hmm. There was some, uh, you know, a lot of progressive minds in there. One from from Dan O'Dowd and then also, you know, Josh Burns and Michael Hill and and John Daniels, and so on yeah. and so forth, and the Matt Klintak, and we were all in there. Yeah. Um, and so we had recognized that, um, and then the thing that I found unique is at getting to know Stick Gene Michael um, in, in New York, him taking me through the early examples of reconfiguring their roster in New York from like 91, 92, 93, 94, and watching the turnover and roster churn and how they gravitated towards high-on-base players at that moment in time. Um, And they were ahead of the rest of the industry. And you look back on some of those teams, they they were definitely high-on-base teams. And, you know, one of the things that I think that people – I think the best way to really capture on-base percentage is is if you called it the not-make-an-out percentage. Right? If you just take 1,000 and subtract an on base percentage from it, that's the percent that that individual makes outs. And we don't want to make outs because outs are, you only get 27 of them in a game, right? Both sides start with 27. So a baseball game is, in theory, it, it, it could be infinite, right? If you don't run out of outs, you get to keep playing. And so we don't want to run out of outs. And the best way to not run out of outs is to have higher on base. And you have more run scoring opportunities. It's going to be the the most predictive metric, most predictive stat to to run scoring.
2: Billy, you said something a minute ago, uh, a couple of questions ago, about things that you've been wanting to develop uh, with this organization, and you talked about international scouting and international development. I think that that's an area that is kind of maybe it's my fault, maybe it's maybe it's media fault. It kind of has gone undercovered mm-hmm. as to what you guys are doing internationally. Obviously what you guys have done in Japan, bringing in Shohei Otani and your relationship with Shohei. But I under, I know that there's a lot that happens down in the Caribbean as well. Mm-hmm. What kind of things are happening in this organization internationally?
0: Well, we've invested in more scouts. Um, and we've also utilized some of our amateur scouts, uh, our domestic amateur scouts, uh, and sent them down there. To, if we increase our our bandwidth, right, our manpower, mm-hmm. um, and increase our our uh, you know frequency of, of visits down there, and myself included, you know, I'll go down there once a year. Um, that that allows you to start really casting a wide net, and you know when um, when when people head down there from from the United States, you know you'll get a you'll get a pretty decent turnout for for some tryouts sure. and an opportunity to, to really put your hands on some players and so we've been doing that um, in the last you know since I've got here in, in 2016 and we've spent um, Every last time that we've been allocated from MLB to be able to spend, um, in fact, in you know the earlier years where you were allowed to like get up and even pay tax, we even went and paid into the threshold of paying tax, and we were still under the penalty, you know, that that first year right. um, that I was here, and then we kind of became um, unrestricted at that point in time, and got aggressive and got aggressive last year with. You know, signing um, Kevin Maiton and Luis right. Soto as well in conjunction with the with the Otani signings, and then um, you know we're still down there. In fact, you know, one of the conference calls I was on right before I walked down here to the studio was with our international director, who's in Venezuela right now, and we're looking at a number of guys down there for the for the nineteen uh, the nineteen class, and um, so yeah, we, we've really just invested. Uh, resources and manpower into those things, and developed a process for how we're going to evaluate. Like, um, so every player, depending on the on the money that, that that's um, going to be invested in the player, that we forecast to be invested in the player, has to run through a particular type of screen. Um, that, that whether that's qualitative, whether it's qualitative, and also some um, some other kind of proprietary metrics sure. that we grab yeah. on the player. Um, whether that's some um cognitive things that we look at uh, on the player as well but we're definitely investing in that area and you know you see like Jaime Berea pop up here and you see Jose Suarez pop up here and um some other young players uh, some players that we've actually you know traded in some other other deals um you know, uh, along the way. Um, but, you know, you definitely uh, can recognize the, the impact that our international amateur department's having on our overall, um, you know, prospect categorizations by Baseball America or Fan Graphs or Baseball Prospectus or Keith Law. And, yeah, it's across know. the board. Yeah.
2: yeah it is. At, I want to go back to the trade deadline this past year,
0: mm-hmm. just a couple months
2: ago. How hard is it in that moment when you trade – or even a little bit before the deadline, you trade Martin Maldonado, you trade Ian Kinsler, and you understand that you're still trying to compete but understanding that the gap is growing and growing. How tough is that to think what's best for this organization long-term as opposed to maybe right now in that moment?
0: I mean, you know – Ultimately, our responsibility is to the entire organization, right? And the health of the organization, all right? So we want to continue to take steps to become, you know, financially healthy mm-hmm. um, and put ourselves in a position um, to uh, have ultimate flexibility. And in, in, you know, assessing, you know, the... Uh, you know the the impact that that Moldo and Kinsler Kins would have had on us for the the remaining two months versus the projected um, impact that you know Patrick Sandoval um, or Ty Buttery and Williams Perez would have on us for this year or years to come you know that's just the calculus that we have to yeah. run through um and again like our duty um and and my responsibility is to the organization um first and foremost it is the health of the organization is at the forefront of my thought process and it is the last kind of cross check point before you know recommending a decision to uh to Artie. yeah
2: um going back to, to the current team and now what you're doing you just announced the coaching staff earlier this week uh, that process I know it seemed like it took a long time to, to make all that happen what are things that you look for and and, and also how much is it your influence on what this staff's going to be how much is Brad involved could you just maybe walk me through a little bit about how the coaching staff comes together
0: um, yeah well you know first and foremost like going through the managerial process and, and ultimately um, you know, uh, uh, hiring Brad, you start to understand like the, the decision making of your managerial candidates and how they think. And so if you're, if you find yourself with an individual that thinks similarly, um, or values things similarly, then when it comes time for coaching staff, odds are you're going to think fairly similarly, right. uh, and value things similarly. So then, um, when we get to our coaching staff and and grab, you know, Jeremy Reed and Sean Wooten internally and go grab Doug White from the Astros and uh, Andrew Bailey had spent a year with us last year on the major league side and with the club, and giving him an opportunity there. And Jose Molina, who was internal, and Mike Gallego, who was internal, and so on and so forth. Um, Jesus Feliciano, who we, who we went out and uh, you know grabbed as our outfield and race coach, and um, retaining Josh Paul, you know, you know, and, and retaining Paulie Sorrento as well. I think the thing that really um, you know that that we have imparted on that group is the importance of continuing education and continuing to grow and continuing to learn. I think um, I look at that position um, as a as a difficult position and a and a really tiring job starting February you know fourteenth right. um, and going till hopefully you know Halloween yeah. and. Um, but I also look at that job as an opportunity to continue to grow in less demanding months. November, December, January, uh, early part of February is, you know, how, how can we make our coaches better? Um, my own feel is that um, the coaching side of things um, and separating our coaches from um, the rest of the industry Uh, holds a competitive advantage and i want to try to utilize that and and challenge our our coaching staff you know we've um talked to them about uh you know certain you know books that that we value or we've had we've already have had them here um to kind of go over a process that we're going to implement um in the next season with how we're going to you know manage our athletes and you know but the 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 kind of common characteristic among our coaches and they all recognize this is that it's important to continue to learn and grow um just that it is for uh myself or my front office staff you know we take time to continue to educate ourselves and grow because if we're not um then other teams probably are maybe not all of them but other teams are going to be and we're going to either get past or fall further behind so we have to really take that um to, you know, take that, that, that approach seriously.
2: Sure. Hey, by the way, could you leave some of those books? Like when you're done with them, just kind of leave them outside your <laughs> office, just put them in a box. I'll stop by, you know, pick them up every once in a while, try to make my way upstairs for that. Sounds good. What, what, was the, what was the last book you read?
0: Um, the last book, the, um, you know, I tend to read, uh, a couple books um at the same time of course you You, you, do well no (laughs) No. (laughs) just because you know it's similar like television shows i want to you know switch a tv show now and again so um you know uh, i i read a a book called legacy um Mm. you know it was about the new zealand all blacks and and kind of like a mindset um that they took um uh thinking fast thinking slow um was another book that i read that was a that was a you know it was a book i I could only read you know maybe a chapter at a time and and would have to take some time to to digest it i mean it was a really good book um but it you know it 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 made you think um a little bit um another book called super forecasting um that I'm actually involved in or, or reading right now um you know uh i like i i like college football yeah. um so I, I'm reading a, a uh, I read a book this year called uh, Fourth and Goal Every Day. Um, it was a Nick Saban book, and it was just about, uh, again, about a mindset of, you know, fourth and goal every single day. So, um, Great. Later. you know, uh, so, yeah, you kind of just dabble in a number of books over the over the course of a year.
2: I know I've kept you for a really long time. I got one more thing I want to touch sure, on. Yeah. Uh, winter meeting's coming up this, mm-hmm. this next week. What are your – I don't want to say your goals because I don't think there's, like, a checklist. But, mm-hmm. like, what 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 do you want to accomplish at the winter meetings? Like, like what is the – what's the purpose for you there?
0: Yeah, you know, add value to the club. Um, you know, and I know that's a – probably sounds like a – you know, yeah. kind of a very bland I was hoping, answer. I was hoping right? a little better than that, Billy. I'll be
1: totally honest.
0: It's- add value <laughs> to the club. I mean, uh, so – you know, I, I know I've, I've used the word a lot in the past, and I, but I think it, it it's important, right? We want to be opportunistic. Sure. You know, we have some resources at our disposal. Um, we want to make sure we make mindful, uh, you know, investments in, in the club. And, you know, we can do some things on the mound. We can do some things behind the plate. Um, but also, you know, remain opportunistic if there's something we can do on the infield side. Great if there's, you know, just whether that's on the you know, and then back to the pitching, whether it's on the starting side or the relief side, um, you know, just continue to have dialogue with clubs and 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 understand what's available in the trade market and what's available in the free agent market, and then try to try to kind of um, you know discern what is what is reality and what is just kind of remain remains fantasy at that at that moment in time. So, um, but I I I do want to continue. Down the path of, of getting us um, to a spot to, to be you know um, to remain flexible um, and not and not bind ourselves yeah. too much.
2: Are, are the winter meetings overplayed? Like like because I think for fans they kind of see that in some ways it's like the kickoff and the deadline at the same time. Like right. is is that? Is, I think
0: it, it's a I think it's a great event. I think it's a great event for baseball. Um, I think it's an opportunity to just you know have this twenty four hour news cycle and the you know it, it raises the exposure meter. Um, uh, of our game, and it is a, it is a time where you know teams do, you know, kind of just feel, you know, this this you know invisible deadline. Mm-hmm. But they, they, you know, it, you can walk away from the winter meetings; you're still going to walk away better than. When you walked in because you're just going to know more whether you have a player in hand is another is another story but you have you just continue to get a sense of what you can and cannot do um you know during during the meetings yeah it is a time where you know you're meeting with agents that you know they're all there Mm -hmm. um and and so you know they're usually swinging through your room or you're (laughs) swinging through their room and and you know having dialogue about you know players and so on and so forth and then you know there's media time um as as well there to you know connect with our you know our print media and then you know I'll jump on at some point on on the network and you know do some yeah. do some do some things uh with some radio there as as well but um, is it overblown? No, I, I think I think it's a, I think it's a part of, like one of the nice baseball traditions, yeah. and I I actually enjoy it. Um, but it, it's tiring. I sure. you know I don't think my wife enjoys it <laughs> uh, because it's a thirty minute phone call at night, and that's probably okay. about it. Maybe yeah. a Facetime, and um, sometimes it might even be a fifteen minute call. So yeah, I think I, I think it's hard on your families. Yeah. so I take it um, you're
2: not going to all the country concerts going on in Vegas that week. That week, no, it's Cowboy it's kind of like Christmas you, that week, by you, the way. What does that mean? That, I know that means it means you're gonna see a lot of cowboy hats. Oh, really? That, that's what that means. Okay, yeah. that's yeah. kind of cool. It's um, yeah.
0: I will tell you that for the, uh, I I really think this is running on. Oh man, Th- this might date back to maybe like oh seven or 08. I have yet to ever leave the hotel at the <laughs> winter meetings. Meaning, like, there's some there's some you know some some people go out like mm-hmm. to go grab dinner off property or things like that. Um I have traditionally checked in on Sunday night and I have not left the hotel. I mean in some of the what would like when they're in Nashville at the Opry Land and so yeah. on and so forth. I haven't gone out. Like I, I realize it on Thursday after the rule <laughs> five draft when I step outside to get in the car to go to the airport. I think to myself, this is the first time I've I've had fresh air yeah. since Sunday. It's kind of remarkable. Um, That's why I think about it. I've usually exhausted the room service menu, which is like if I have another chicken tender after (laughs) after that time period, like I'm it's just it's too much to take. We usually like I I ask I always ask them if they can just do breakfast, you know, even for dinner. I just like scrambled eggs and bacon and some avocado and go from there. But. Yeah, um, so I have a feeling this will be very similar to that. Yeah. <laughs> I will probably just check in on Sunday night, and I will not see the outside until post-Rule 5 draft on Thursday.
2: Hey, that sounds good. Billy, I really appreciate you doing this. I think that for fans, especially especially Angels fans, that have had 19 years yeah. of a manager, yeah. and now trying to understand that things are different now yeah. in, in many ways, I, I think it's important to understand that philosophy and where the organization is at and what is a little bit different now. and where this club is and i appreciate you taking some time to explain that
0: yeah absolutely our focus is on our build you know and so uh i you know i think it's important that that everybody uh, understands that you know we did not want to run through a teardown situation here um we wanted to continue to give this club opportunities um to to put themselves you know in in the postseason and and you know, we have we have moved a farm system upwards a lot, and so um, we're proud of that, but um, we know there's a lot of work to s- still do um, to get this club and this organization where we want to get it.
2: Billy, thank you. I'll ask you about Mike Trout in Vegas. All I, right. I promised I wouldn't do it here, but I'll ask you about Mike Trout in like three days. So,
0: <laughs> Sounds <laughs> good. All right, all right very Billy
2: Epler, thank you very much. Absolutely. So kind of Billy to spend that much time with us. Uh, a lot to unpack from that interview. Loved what he said at the end, by the way, that this organization is about building... He's talked a lot in the past about the championship culture that he's trying to create throughout the organization here. I thought we had to say about the use of analytics and still understanding the human element and trying to understand the mind and how you're going to try to figure out human behavior, I thought it was really innovative, Uh, some of the things Billy Epler was talking about there. I'll just give you a little behind-the-scenes, too. I know there are probably some people out there that are saying, well, how come you didn't ask about certain contracts or trades or players that the Angels should be interested in, uh, what the Angels are looking for, specific areas. One, I'll already tell you, Billy Epler's been asked about certain areas, and he has said that pitching, both starters and relievers, is a priority for this offseason. We talked about this 1st of October, and nothing has really changed. Secondly, when you're doing an interview like this, And you got Billy Epler in studio, and he's spending 40 minutes of his time here. I have a really critical time when there's a lot of things going on. For him to take that much time with us was a really big deal. I didn't feel that it was appropriate in that moment to try to pin him on what kind of deal you're going to try to get to extend Mike Trout. What kind of players are you trying to get? What are some players that you have been in the mix on already at this point? Who are you looking at? One, I don't think he would tell me. I don't think he'd tell anybody that that's Billy Epler. That's how the angels have operated uh, well before Billy has even been here. It it has just been that, that is, that is order of business. And there is no, there's no strategic advantage to telling us and to tell me here in the studio about a player that the angels are going after. There is no value to that. So one, I don't think he'd tell me anyway. Secondly, I don't think he, I, I would want him to tell me if you're, legitimately interested in what's best for the Angels organization, you don't necessarily need to know that information right now. I mean, the Angels have been really good at flying under the radar on a lot of stuff. Remember who was the surprise team that nobody knew about for Shohei Otani? That wasn't that long ago. The Angels were that team that flew under the radar. And... I would expect them to be that again here in Vegas this coming weekend and I, or week, and I would expect them to continue to be that down the road as well as this offseason continues. Uh, but when you get Billy Epler in here, I, I just feel it's really important to know Billy Epler the person because like I said to him, that when you can understand Billy Epler the person – it helps us really understand Billy Epler, the general manager, and what he's wanting to accomplish and what the process is and where this organization is at. And to think that this club starts and, or starts and finishes at the major league level is really naive. And to understand everything that's going on and what they're doing in the Caribbean, I, he didn't even tell me. I, there's a lot more that I know about what we're doing in the Caribbean than he even shared in this interview. And since he didn't say it, I'm not going to say it. But there is a lot that is going on in the Angels' really trying to understand players that maybe would struggle other places but can succeed with the Angels, that have incredible talent but putting the entire package together. The Angels have really smart people. I mean, really smart people in place to help facilitate that understanding and that assimilation into the baseball culture and into the American baseball culture. I mean, I I don't know the details of every organization, but the other organizations I am familiar with, the Angels far and away are ahead of the curve on that. Look, I know there's a lot of you out there saying, what's taking so long? Understanding that the Angels have a lot to address. There are a lot of needs. I've laid out team needs on this show before. The Angels have a lot of those. That is no secret. Billy Eppler knows that, trust me. And the Angels are working to put together... A championship team. The goal is to win a World Series. That is the goal for Angels baseball. That is what this club is working towards. And I'm optimistic in what Billy can do and what's going to happen with the new regime. It's Change can be a scary thing when you've had 19 years of a legendary manager and Mike Socia doing things how he has done them and knowing that it was successful mostly. To know that things are going to be a lot different now can be a scary thing to consider. But I take a lot of comfort in knowing the Angels have really bright people in this organization, and I'm looking forward to it. Again, Thursday night, 7 o'clock, full show from the winter meetings. We're going to be in Vegas. We're going to have all the, as much inside scoop as humanly possible. We're going to have that for you. Uh, we're going to be happy to hopefully see where this club is in a couple of days from now, because I really, I really think something big is going to happen in Vegas. I don't know what, nobody's told me anything. I just got this gut feeling that something's going to happen. Uh, thank you to everybody for tuning into this show. Thank you for listening on the podcast as well. If you're joining us there, angels.com slash podcast. If you haven't heard about it, our Justin Anderson interview from last week is up on angels.com slash podcast right now. I encourage you to check that out. Thanks to Howard Drescher and everybody else to help put this show together. Again, my name is Trent Rush. What a beautiful time of year. Roster construction and this, that critical time on the calendar. I can't wait for what is coming up uh on our next show. This has been Halo Zotsto. Take care everybody.
1: Hey Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story and one of the best